So before we, before we really start, I want to say thank you for being here this morning. I saw a lot, of, um, a lot of new faces here today. I'm really glad that you chose to spend your morning with us. There's a lot of other things you could have been doing with your morning, and we're honored that you chose to spend at least part of it with us. So thank you for being here. My name is Dave, and I'm one of uh, your pastors here at Crosspoint. And uh, I'm all, I also want to say to a lot of you who uh, last week was your first time here, thank you for coming back. We are glad to see you, and um, we, we would love to get to know you better. If I didn't get the chance to meet you last week, or even if I did, I'm going to be out in the foyer area after the service. I would love to talk to you and get to know you a little better, and maybe meet you for the first time. Uh, again, my name's Dave, and um, thank, thanks for being here today. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to us. And last Sunday... If, uh, if you were here, you know we started a brand new series that I'm really excited about called Turning Point. In case you weren't here last week, I'm just going to give you a very, very brief introduction to what this series is about. Uh, a turning point happens when, whenever you are confronted with a reality that you maybe never saw before, or maybe you knew it was there, but you were ignoring it, but all of a sudden it's right, it's right in your face and it causes you, that reality causes you to change your direction in life. It could be something about your health. It could be something about a relationship. It could have something to do with your job. It could have, I mean, turning points come in all different kinds of shapes and sizes. Your life is full of turning points. My life is full of turning points. And, and we never really are looking for them. They kind of find us. And they, and they, just, they just happen. And all of a sudden, there's, there's this reality. It's right in your face. And you've got to do something about it. And most of the time, when the real turning points happen, that reality that you were ignoring or that you didn't see before is God. And when we're confronted with the truth about God that we never saw before, you have a choice. You have the opportunity to change your direction in life. I, I know this has happened to you. It's happened to me. And um, so this, this, this happens all the time. I remember way back in 1989, I was a sophomore in high school. And... I remember um, we were in gym class and we were playing basketball. And, and back then I was tall and skinny. I wasn't the specimen you see standing before you today. Why is that funny? I... And, and I, so we were playing basketball and basketball tryouts had already started. But I wasn't trying out because I wasn't a basketball player. I was just a guy who was having fun. I loved playing basketball, but it really wasn't my thing. I never really thought I would be a team, you know, really good on a, on, a, on a team or even if I would make a team. And there we were in gym class and we had a new coach that year for the JV team. And he was, he was this, this just huge guy who was, had a larger than life personality and he stood out for a lot of reasons. His personality, he, he was an African American guy so he, there weren't a lot of, of African Americans at our school at the time. And he was just a lot of, a, a, a big guy with a big personality and he had a lot of charisma and he was dynamic and, and everybody knew who he was even though it was his first year there and he was the new coach of the JV team and he walked into the gym while we were playing and when I saw him walk in, I, I, I decided, okay, I'm going to, no more playing around, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like do my thing and, and just, I'm going to play a little harder now, you know, even though I didn't expect it to go anywhere. So we're playing and I'm doing my thing and all of a sudden he stops the game. <laughs> He's not even the gym teacher. He stopped the game. He's like, hey, Hey, you, what's your name? And he pointed at me. And I said, I'm Dave Bloom. He said, how, how old are you? What grade are you? I'm in 10th grade. Are you trying out for a basketball team? He said, no. 
He said, I want, you, I want to see you at practice today. Four o'clock, I want you on my team. You're a basketball player. And I said, okay. <laughs> and that was it. And, and I remember we, we went in the locker room afterwards, and one of my friends, a good friend of mine, he didn't like that I did that. He didn't like that change, whatever it was. He, he was fine with me not trying out for basketball. And he was really frustrated. He's like, so why are you doing this again? I don't understand. Why do you want to play basketball on the team? Blah, blah, blah. And eventually he just got so frustrated that this is what he said. And I thought about filtering this and I'm not going to. I'm just going to tell you exactly what he said to me. He said to me, so you're telling me that you're going to try out for the basketball team just because some big black guy told you to? And I looked at him and I said, yeah. (laughs) There was just something about that guy. When, When he told me I was a basketball player, I believed him. And so I tried out for the team. I made it. I started every game. I led the team in rebounds and blocks. And I, was th- I ended up being third in the team in uh, scoring average. And I'm not telling that to you to brag at all, okay? Because I'm really not that special of a basketball player. It, basketball is not my thing. But I realized th- this guy saw something in me that I'd never seen before. He saw that I was a basketball player. And, uh, and, as, and as soon as I believed it and, and I played for him for, for that one year, it, it changed It changed my view of myself. I I realized I am a basketball player. This is something I love to do, and I'm and I'm pretty good at it. I can do this, you know. And I had more fun playing basketball that one season in in my sophomore year of high school than I had doing anything else all four years of high school. Playing for that guy, and I got to play a little varsity, and it was it was so much fun, and it it was a turning point for me. I remember that. I'll never forget that that day in the gym during gym class. And today we're going to look at. A new kind of turning point that, that every one of us knows about, but most of us haven't experienced yet, at least maybe, maybe most of us. And that is when you find your thing. When you find your thing, that one thing that you were made to do, the thing you're born to do, that one thing that you're put on this earth to do. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's this idea out there that every one of us was made to do something, and there's something that you and I, that, that makes you unique that sets you apart, and when you find that thing, that one thing you're born to do, it it changes everything, it opens up a whole new world, and you just come alive, and you're invigorated by it. And I don't know what what your thing is, okay? Well, actually, I think I might. We'll talk about that later, but but a lot of people think that your thing is, is what you do. So, for example, Steve Jobs, the late Steve Jobs, the CEO of, and founder of Apple Computers, for him, he, it, was the, it was the point where he realized, you know, I'm, I've been making these um, systems and, and designing software for all these other computer companies. What if I made my own computer? What if I just built my own computer? And that's how the first Macintosh was born. And that changed everything for him. It actually changed the world in many ways, and it still is. That's what it was for Steve Jobs. This is probably what happened when Babe Ruth hit a baseball for the first time or when Michael Jackson found his voice for the first time. It just opened up a whole new world of possibilities for them. And they felt free when they found, when they found that one thing that they were you know, supposedly born to do. And, and I have a friend, in fact, who I went to high school and college with who goes, he travels all over the world Helping people find their thing. His thing is to help other people find their thing. And he's very good at it. He's good at helping people identify and unlock that one factor that kind of sets them apart and gives them that joy and purpose that they long for, you know? 
And so, and he's, so he's helped a lot of people find that thing and, and become successful in whatever it is that they do. But I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I still kind of push back. I, always, I often wonder, is, does, does everyone really have a thing? I mean, I don't know what your experience has been like, but for me, I went through six full years of college and I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I had no purpose. I didn't know what my thing was. And then people started telling me, people who were smarter and nicer than me started telling me, you know what, I think your thing is to is to be a, t- a minister, a preacher, a teacher. I think that's your thing. And so I tried that for a while and then that ended pretty badly years ago. And I thought that that was my thing for a while, being a pastor. But I don't think that anymore. Because when when... When my first run at being a pastor ended, I was devastated and confused. And I, I wasn't sure what my thing was. I wasn't sure what to live for because I thought that was my thing. And if I honestly believed that my thing was being a pastor, I'd be setting myself up for disappointment. Do you know why? Because your thing, whatever it is, is going to end before you do. This, whatever it is you're doing in life, and some of you I know, some of you I know you, you, know, you wouldn't probably say, you know, I was born to be an accountant. Or I was born to be in information technology. Or I was born to, to operate heavy machinery. I've done, I did that for six years. You know, I was born to... But some of you would. Some of you would look at your life and your journey and your career and you'd say, I was born to sell things. I was born to be a doctor. I was born to be a teacher. I was born for this or that. And, and you think, for whatever reason, that your career, that's your thing. But what's going to happen when your career ends? Because I'm telling you, it's going to end. The day will come when someone younger and better and smarter than you is going to take your job or when you're not performing at the level you're at anymore. Even if you're a parent or a mom or a dad and you think, you know what, my thing is being a mom. That's what I was born to do. I was born to be a mom. Really? Did you know that your kids are going to move out someday? And when, when that happens... You're, th- you're like, hopefully they'll move out someday, right? But whenever that happens, you're going to think, I mean, what is it? What's your thing now? What, what are you going to live for when your career comes to an end, when your kids move out? What is your purpose going to be? Because if, if your career is your thing, if that's what you think you were born to do and your career comes to an end, then your life might as well come to an end because what it, it's gone. Your purpose is gone. And so I'm here to challenge you that your thing might not be what you thought it was. But I know that most of you, most of you probably don't even know what your thing is, right? Most of you are like me. You're still wondering. I've heard about that. I've heard about people finding that one thing that they were born to do. I've never had that experience. Well, today we're going to look at uh, someone, a a small group of guys, and one young man in particular, who after years of doing one thing, discovered what he was put on this earth to do and it changed everything for him. It was a turning point in his life and the life of his friends. We're going to look in Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. And uh, last week, if you'll remember, we looked at the resurrection of Jesus and how the bodily resurrection of Jesus became a turning point for his closest friends and followers, which started a movement that's still going on today. That was the turning point last week. That was sort of the last moments that Jesus had physically with his followers. And today we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, to the first moments that Jesus had with some of his earliest followers in Luke chapter 5. And this is what we read in Luke, beginning in verse 1, Luke chapter 5. 
One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. In other words, they were done fishing for the day. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here's what's happening. Jesus is at the uh, the shoreline of a, a the Sea of Galilee is is what this place is more more commonly referred to, and we have a picture of it here. Wouldn't you like to be there right now? I wish I was there right now, teaching you from a boat, sitting down. Did you notice that Jesus was sitting down while he taught? Did, did you know that Jesus did most of his teaching sitting down? I bet some of you didn't know that. It took me years to figure that out. How would you feel about me sitting down up here? Listen, if you, if you give me a hard time with it, you know what I'm going to tell you, right? Word for Jesus. So he's sitting down in this boat, teaching this large crowd. Why was, why was Jesus, this is very early on in Jesus' ministry. Why is he so popular? Where's this crowd coming from? What's all the fuss about? We, uh, we, we learn from Luke chapter 4, Verse 31, in Luke 4.31, Luke makes a very interesting statement that we, we see repeated a few times. And this is what it says in Luke 4.31. And he was teaching him on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. That word authority is very important. It means that Jesus was teaching out of the original stuff. In other words, what Jesus was telling people about God, what he was telling them about themselves and about life, I mean, it was like, it was like Jesus was teaching about God as if he'd been with God forever. It was like Jesus was teaching them about people and about life as if he was the creator of people and life. He was teaching from a completely different vantage point than everyone else was. This would be like if, if I wanted to teach you, if we were going to teach a class on a book, and we decided to teach you, there's, there's this great book that I love. It's called Desiring God by John Piper. It was written in the mid-80s. And on, it's one of my favorite books. And I would love to teach that book someday. But who would you rather teach that book to you? Me or John Piper? Me, right? <laughs> right. You'd rather, you'd rather, you want to hear it from the author himself. You know, what would, it have, what would it have been like when you were in high school science class and you were learning about gravity to have Sir Isaac Newton come in and teach you about gravity? I mean, he's the guy who discovered it. He's the guy who's the, the authority. He's the one who had the curiosity to figure it out and the passion. I would rather hear it from straight from the source, wouldn't you? I mean, who would you rather be up here telling you about God today? Me or Jesus? Who would you rather meet out in the foyer when we're done here? <laughs> you know, some of you would think, I would love to meet Jesus. I would give him a big hug and I would follow him today. But you know, if the truth be told, I don't know. I think meeting Jesus would be terrifying. You know why? Because he sees right through you. He sees to the bottom. In fact, most of the people who told Jesus, I want to follow you, they walked away from him because they, they usually underestimate, most people underestimate what it's actually going to cost. And most people underestimate what God is actually going to give them. And so they don't take the next step with Jesus. 
And we all struggle with that. And when Jesus was telling people about God, most of them, many of them felt uncomfortable because what he was telling them about God was so real and so raw and so different than anything they'd heard about God before. It just made them uncomfortable. You know, because it's like, Jesus, I've never, I've never heard anyone talk about God like that. Are you sure that's true? Because if that's really what God is like, what I believe is wrong. What I've thought all along is wrong. In fact, I've been going the wrong way this whole time. If God's really like that, I'm going to have to change what I believe. I'm going to have to change how I live. I'm going to have to rearrange my life. I'm not nearly as much like God as I thought I was. And even though it made so many people uncomfortable, they couldn't stop listening. You know, it was so provocative. And that's why they're there. Uh, Let's pick this up in verse 4. In verse 4 of Luke 5. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now this is kind of strange for a couple of reasons. First of all, Jesus... Jesus was a carpenter, and everybody there knew it. This is close enough to his hometown where every, most of the people there knew where he was from. They knew he was Joseph's son. He'd been a carpenter for many years, and now he's this amazing teacher. But he's not a fisherman. As far as they know, he knows nothing about fishing. And yet, fishing is Peter's thing. As far as Peter knows, this is the one thing he's good at. This is the one thing he's been put on the earth to do, is fish. Who is this carpenter? To, who does he think he is telling me what to, how to do my job, how to do my thing. It's the middle of the day. Who goes fishing in the middle of the day in the deep waters? There's not going to be any fish near the surface. This doesn't make any sense at all. And yet Jesus tells him to do something he's done a thousand times, but his way, in his timing. And Peter doesn't know this. He has no idea, but what his next move is going to change his life. Whatever he does next is going to determine the course of the rest of his life. He has no idea what hangs in the balance. And it's not as if Jesus, you know, if Jesus wanted to, he could have showed Peter what was going to happen. He could have showed Peter the St. Peter's Basilica. We have a picture of St. Peter's Basilica here. He could have showed Peter this. And Peter would have been like, what is that? What is that, a spaceship? What is that, heaven? No, Peter, that's your tomb. That's your tomb. You're going to be buried under that. It took them 120 years to build that. It's it's going to be the most holy of all Catholic churches. What's a Catholic? It's a long story. It's complicated. Look, it doesn't matter. This is your tomb. These people built this tomb over you because to honor you, you're going to influence millions of people. Peter, Peter, you know the scriptures... The Bible, the scriptures, you know, the Old Testament. No, I don't. What's the Old Testament? It's, you know, you remember, you know, Genesis and and Moses and Isaiah and David and Solomon and all the men who wrote. Yes, of course, I know the scriptures. They're not done yet. There's going to be a New Testament added to the scriptures and you're going to write some of it. And when people read what you write about me, their lives are going to change. And a lot of the New Testament is going to be about you and people are going to read about your life. 
going to read about this moment and I'm going to change them when they do. Peter didn't see that. He, he couldn't see that. Jesus didn't show him all that. All he said was take the next step. Jesus confronted Peter with a new reality by taking him through a series of small steps. And that must have been really frustrating for Peter. Peter doesn't know what's going to happen. All he knows is this carpenter teacher wants him to do something that doesn't make any sense. And he does it. Have you ever been in a situation like that with God and, and you feel like God's wanting you to do something or go somewhere, it doesn't make any sense? You're like, God, I don't, why, why now? Why this? Why are you doing this? This doesn't make any sense. What is going to happen here? I want to see the result. I want to see the outcome. But God doesn't give us that. He just shows us the next step. Why is that? The reason is because each step is just as important to God as the final result. This, the process is just as important to God as the final destination. And that's all Peter has. All he has is the next step, and he takes the risk. He takes the next step with Jesus, and Jesus does not disappoint. In verse 6 of Luke chapter 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So what happens here is Peter embraces reality, even though... It's uncomfortable for him. Even though he doesn't really want to go out there, he doesn't think there's any fish out there. He doesn't know why he's going out there. He might look like a fool to the people standing on the, on the shore. These guys just clean their nets. Why are they going back out there? It's the middle of the day. It doesn't make any sense, but he does it anyway. He believes Jesus. He believes what Jesus tells him to do, and he does it. You know? And all of, all of a sudden, chaos happens. They're pulling in these nets. The nets are so full, they're tearing. They fill both boats so full, they start to sink. These guys are probably yelling at each other and grunting and probably making a scene. And everyone's probably wondering, what is going on out there? What's all the commotion about? And in the middle of all the commotion, listen to what happens in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So in the middle of all of this commotion, this is amazing. All of these guys are so excited. This is, this is the biggest catch of their lives. They're going to be telling their grandkids about this catch someday. This has never happened to them before, especially not in the middle of the day. And all of a sudden for Peter, it doesn't, it's not about the fish anymore. He doesn't even care about the fish anymore. In fact, he drops to his knees in a pile of fish. His boat is sinking. And he looks away from the fish and he looks at Jesus. He realizes, my thing is not fishing. My life is about something way bigger than fishing. And it scares him. 
it scares him so much that he looks at Jesus, and he te- I don't even know if he was looking at Jesus, but he tells Jesus to go away. He tells Jesus to leave him. Why did he do that? I believe he told Jesus to go away from him because what was true about God in that moment for Peter was very uncomfortable for him. It was something he never saw before. What was real about God blew away what he used to believe. And that's what needs to happen for us. Because the one reality that you and I find it very hard to see but very easy to ignore is God. We want to believe things about God that aren't true and we sometimes refuse to believe things about God that are true. And when he finally confronts us with the truth, with reality, it makes us uncomfortable at first. And that's where Peter's at right now. It scares him. And so here's some things that we believe about God that I would like to believe at times that simply aren't true. We're going to do this every week. We're going to point out just a few things that we like to hang on to about God, all right? The first one is that God is a lot like me. God is a lot like me. I'd like to believe that. But he's not. Peter thought that. I'm sure he did. But in this moment, he sees that God is nothing like him. God is holy. God is altogether set apart. God is altogether more powerful and more pure than I am. And he's worthy of my worship. He's not like, he's not a lot like me, as much as we'd like to believe that. We want, it's much more comfortable for us to want God to change to be like us than it is for us to be like him. Isn't that the truth? The second thing I think that Peter saw here for the first time, I would like to believe that my sin is not a big deal to God. That God is not overly concerned with my sins. God has bigger fish to fry. You know, I'd like to think that God is telling me, Dave, you're doing such a good job, good job talking about me on Sundays that I'm just going to look the other way while you cross the line again. And I'm like, God, I'm with you on that. I totally agree. You know, well, you should go focus on those bad people. They're the ones that need your attention. They need your discipline. He's just going to sweep my sins under the rug. But a turning point happens when I realize that's not true of God at all. My sins do matter to God, every one of them. And he's not going to sweep any one of them under the rug. He can't. He can't do that. Okay? Another thing that we tend to believe about God sometimes, or we'd like to believe, is that if I could just change this one thing about myself, God will be happy with me. If I could just stop this one habit or break this one bad habit, God will be totally happy with me and I'll be the person that God wants me to be. But that's not true, is it? The truth is, every part of me needs changing. I am a sinful person through and through. I am sinful at my core. At the core of my being, all I care about is me, like what Matt was saying. Everything I do, every decision is about me and what I want and me having control over my life. And that's what needs to change. All of me needs to change. Not just that one thing. Every part of me needs to change. And God won't stop changing me until I see him face to face. And then one last thing that we tend to believe about God, and this has certainly happened for Peter, is that God is for good people. God is for those good people who make good choices and who have it together. They know what their thing is and they're happy doing it. They're successful. 
That's who God is for. God couldn't possibly use someone like me. I've made bad choices. I've done things that God couldn't possibly forgive. I'm damaged goods. And God is for good people, so I guess God's not for me. That's what a lot of people believe about God today. But that is not who God is. The turning point happens when you realize that God loves you just as you are. In fact, he loves you as Christ is. Through faith, you are like his son and his daughter. God uses you just as you are. Uh, The the great uh, Catholic author, Brennan Manning, he said, God loves me as I am and not as I should be. He's right. He's right about that. And yet, that's something we forget over and over again. And there's a consequence. Anytime you forget what God is like and you hang on to some false idea about God, there's always a consequence. And for that one, if you really believe that God is for good people, you will go through life looking over your shoulder. You'll go through life wondering, when is God going to get me for all the bad things I've done? God can't forgive me. I know that. So when is he going to take vengeance on me? And that's no way to live, and you know that. So something has to change. You have to be confronted with reality so that you can turn. So that you can know God as He actually is. And the truth is that the reality about God is always better than what we thought. God is actually better than who we imagine Him to be. In fact, this is like the difference between a picture and reality. Between looking at a picture and looking at the real thing. That's the difference. Do you remember the first time you saw the Rocky Mountains or a mountain range? I remember that. I remember we were driving down, we were on our way to Colorado Springs, and all of a sudden I looked out in the distance and I realized, wait a minute, that's not the bottom of clouds. That's the top of mountains. And I was just... In awe. I couldn't stop looking at it. The first time, I remember the first time I stood on the ocean. Like, I'm from here, okay? This, I didn't see the ocean until I was a, like a senior in high school. I didn't see the mountains until I was 18 or 19. We don't have that. We have Lake Michigan, which is pretty awesome for a lake. But man, when you're sitting on the shores of the ocean for the first time, I was breathless. It's amazing. If you would have shown me a picture of my wife before I met her for the first time, I would have been impressed. You know, but I didn't see a picture. I'll, and I'll never forget the first time I saw her. I was stunned. I was like, who is that? And I was scared. I was like, I didn't even want to be around her because I thought she was so beautiful. And I, my heart started beating faster and my knees got weak. And we were actually playing a volleyball game the first time we met. And all of a sudden, there she was, right across the net from me. And I... Like could, my, I could hardly breathe. And, and then the ball got set to me, and I did what any guy would have done in that situation. I spiked it right in her face. <laughs> and that was our turning point. You know, that's, that's how our relationship started. Actually, that was a, her turning point came much later than mine did, actually, if I'm being honest. But that's how it happened. Reality is always better than the picture. It's always heavier, you know? Reality is what changes you, not a picture. And it's like there's a gap between what we think is true and what's real. And when that gap closes, that's your turning point. And that's what needs to happen with God. We've got to see God for who he is. 
And let's look at let's look at what Peter does when this happens. And, and let's, we're going to finish the passage in verse in verse ten. First Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Luke five ten. This is what we read. Then Jesus said to Simon, "Don't be afraid. From now on, you are going to catch men." So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. That's what they did. He said, don't be afraid. Why do he say that? Because they're afraid. The truth about God made them afraid in that moment. And it scares you too sometimes, I think, if you're being honest. And Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. Don't worry about the past. From now on, you are going to catch men. And how do they do that? They leave everything and they follow Jesus. In fact, James and John, those other two brothers, we have Peter and Andrew, his brother. James and John were told by the other gospel writers, they left their father in the boat. That was their family business. Well, that was their thing. That's all, these guys were teenagers. This is all they knew their whole life. The only, one, the only disciple who probably wasn't a teenager was Peter. Most of the other disciples were teenagers when they started following Jesus, including James and John. And, and all they, they thought their whole life, you know, all they can see is fishing. This is what they're born to do. Until they see what's true about God. And they leave everything. Now we know that they fished again. We know that they kept contact with their parents. That's not the point. Jesus became their thing. Following Jesus and catching people. That's what their whole life became about. And they didn't even know Jesus very well at all. They didn't really know Jesus. All they knew is that Jesus was better than what they had. All they could see is the next step. They had no idea the adventure that awaited them. All they saw was the next step and they took it. They left behind their old thing to follow Jesus and to catch people. And, and you should be asking by now, well, what, what is my thing? Is this my thing? What's my next step? What would my next step with Jesus look like? And let me give you a hint at what it might be. You know that thing that makes you really uncomfortable about God? You know that thing that you feel like God's been asking you to do that you're not ready to do? You know that point of tension between you and God? You know that reality about yourself or about someone else or about God that that you know is there but you've been ignoring it because it's uncomfortable for you? That's your next step. That's probably your next step. It might be you, it might be a change in your financial situation. It might have something to do with your career. It might have something to do with the relationship that you have. It might be someone you need to confess to. I don't know what it is for you. But if if there's some tension between you and God, if there's something standing between you and God, that's that's the step. That's what he's asking you to do. And he's saying, trust me. Will you just trust me? Will you take this step with me? I mean, for Matt, you know, when we were watching Matt's video and then, and then got the live version later on, for Matt, he didn't have like a fall down on my knees in a pile of fish moment. But over time, he realized my life is going in the wrong direction. I believe Jesus. I thought I knew Jesus, but something's missing. And he discovered the truth about God 
doing something he did a thousand times, playing baseball. He talked about this in the video. I don't remember him saying this when he was up here, but he played college baseball, and he saw someone else playing college baseball with a passion for Jesus, and that changed him. He realized that he, he needed a turning point. He needed to change. Every part of him needed to change. He realized how sinful he was and that he wasn't actually walking with Jesus. Jesus was maybe giving him advice when it made sense, and that's about it. And then Matt's direction in life changed. So some of you are here, and, and, and maybe you, I mean, I don't know where you're at, but some of you might be here, and you've never taken that step. You're holding a picture of Jesus. You know, you have this idea of who Jesus is, but you've never actually met him. You know, you'll, you take his advice when it makes sense to you, but you've never actually done something that he said just because he told you to, like Peter did. Didn't make any sense. In fact, it'll probably hurt a little bit if I do this, but I'm going to do it just because he said to. And you might look at Jesus and think, I like his teaching because he teaches with authority, but I'm not going to come under his authority. He's not your Lord. And that doesn't make any sense for you to take his advice but not come under his authority. It doesn't make any sense at all. Because there is no relationship with him. I mean, you don't really know him, do you? But you know that something needs to change. You know you haven't found your thing. You know that something is missing. And you need to take that first step. You know that you're sinful. You know that if you were to stand before God today, you would be scared. That scares you, that thought. Because of how you've lived your life. But you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. All you have to do is take the next step with Jesus. And you don't have to know the outcome. And you might be worried about what other people are going to say. Some of your friends might come up to you like my friend did in high school and say, so you're just, you're just going to start following Jesus because some skinny white guy told you to? And I don't know what you say in that moment, okay, but I do know this, that if you don't take that step, you're always going to wonder what, what would have happened. What would have happened if I did trust him? What would have happened if I did leave behind the illusion and let go of what was comfortable to believe so that I can embrace what's true? What would have happened? You'll never know. You'll never know. So I want to ask you to do something. If, if you're here, we're going to take an offering in a couple minutes here. And if you're here and you've never taken that first step with Jesus I, and you want to, and you, you don't, you're not even sure exactly what it looks like, but you want to take that step, then I'm going to ask you to take your Connect card that's in your, uh, your bulletin and take a pen out of the bucket when it comes by and just put your name on it and put a cross on the back. Just put a cross on the back. I just want to know that you're ready to take that step. And I want to be able to talk with you about that. And if you're here and you're a Christian and you have been following Jesus for some time, then let me just remind you, you know what your thing is, right? Your thing is to follow Jesus and catch people. Your thing is to follow Jesus with all your heart, to love him and obey him and trust him in everything and compel other people to join you. That's what your whole life is about and you will never be totally happy and free until you start living that way. You never will be. And for whatever reason, if you're, if you're not following him right now or there's something between you and God or you've forgotten that that's your thing and you've gotten distracted, 
I'm just, I'm just here to tell you, you got to take the next step. You have to take the next step too, because you haven't arrived. Following Jesus is a journey. God asked me to do something this weekend that was very uncomfortable for me. And I don't have time to share it, but I was like, God, really? You knew I was teaching on this and you asked me to do this thing. And I knew he was and I did it. And it was very uncomfortable, but I did it. And I'm glad I did because every time I trust God with even the smallest things, he never disappoints me. Some There are Christians who think, you know, following God, it was great when I started, but it's a little boring now. It's not what I thought it was going to be. And let me just tell you, that is not because of God. Because following God is the most exciting thing that anybody could ever do. It never gets boring. And if it's boring, it's because you haven't taken the next step. That's why it's boring. You've decided to stop here. You've decided this is where my comfort zone is. This is where I'd like to hang on to my control. And if I let God have this part of my life, it's really going to be uncomfortable for me. So I'm just going to stop right here. And before long, it's boring. And that's because you stopped. So if you know what that point of tension is and you're a Christian and you want to take that next step with God, then I'm going to ask you to take out your connect card too and put a cross on the back. And if you don't want to talk to me about it, that's fine. Put a circle around it. That's just between you and God. Just put a cross with a circle and I won't bother you about it. But I I just want to know so I can pray for you. I want to know so I can pray for you. Because finding your thing means taking the next step with Jesus. You'll never find it until you take that next step. Let's pray. Our Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for reminding us who you are and for showing us how what we're made to do, for giving us clarity. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here who has never decided to follow you, they've never decided to come under your authority and just to, just to start obeying you and trusting you as their Lord and as their rescuer, I pray, Lord, that you would move them to do that today, to give their life to you, to leave their old life behind and start a new life with you. We give you all the glory, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.